This episode is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 180. Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm Chris Lester, the creator and head author of the Metamore City Story Universe. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. Each week I bring you a piece of my fiction, available in audio for the first time anywhere, and keep you informed on my life and my writing. So let's get started, shall we? Here is this week's story. Today I'm bringing you chapter 38 of my Metamore City novel, The Lost and the Least. If you're new to the show, go back to episode 143 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In our last episode, Kate and Lizzie paid a visit to Kate's old boss, Captain Joe Montgomery of Precinct 9. Kate and the Cap have been estranged from one another, since Kate accepted an offer to join the Elite Special Investigations Division, shortcutting the fitness-for-duty evaluation that Montgomery required before she could be returned to active service. Kate was forced to go back to Montgomery because he has information she needs. Back in 1973, Montgomery was one of the detectives working on the Midnight Snatcher killings, a series of murder kidnappings that eerily foreshadowed the current string of crimes that Kate has been investigating. The same cult that performed the Snatcher killings is added again, and Kate's best hope of stopping them is to find out what Montgomery knows. In the privacy of his office, Montgomery tells Kate how he had investigated the cult with his partner, Jacob Valenti. Jacob was Kate's biological father, but he had been killed when she was three years old. Montgomery reveals that this murder was not carried out by a random gang member, as Kate had believed. Jacob had been assassinated by the cult when he and Montgomery failed to drop the case. Soon after Jacob's death, Montgomery got a call from a senator whom they knew was involved with the cult. The cultists knew that Jacob and Montgomery had gathered a lot of evidence on them, enough to implicate more than a dozen people in the highest levels of metamorph society. If they killed Montgomery, all of that information would be released to the public. At the same time, Montgomery couldn't risk bringing the cases up for prosecution, because he didn't know how deep the cult's influence extended. If he handed the evidence to the wrong prosecutor, the case would disappear, and he would be dead soon thereafter. With the two sides in a standoff, the senator proposed a deal. In exchange for his silence, Montgomery's life and the lives of Jacob's wife and daughter would be spared. Montgomery took the deal, and he and his wife got Kate and her mother Lisa out of Metamore, away from the cult's center of power. Montgomery has lived with the secret for nearly thirty years. But there was one other person who knew about Montgomery's investigation, the immortal wizard Murakir Kunas. Murakir has fought the cult for a thousand years, and he demanded that Montgomery turn over the information he and Jacob had gathered. Montgomery refused, and in anger and frustration, Murakir murdered the two remaining cultists he knew about. 
The cult covered their tracks and went into hiding, and Murakir went back into his decades-long sleep. Now the immortal is back, and this time he has chosen Kate as his pawn, just as he chose her father Jacob a generation before. Despite Montgomery's best efforts, Kate is caught up in the conspiracy that he tried to save her from. Kate's old enough now to make her own choices, and Montgomery gives her everything he has collected on the cult and its activities. If she's going to try to take these bastards down, Montgomery wants her to have the best possible chance to make it stick. But first, there's one other important piece of information Kate needs to know. Montgomery shows her the file he collected on her father's murder. There's a ten-minute gap in the record between when Jacob radioed for backup and when a pair of patrol officers supposedly found him dead and arrested his killer, a gang member who ended up dead in police custody hours later. Montgomery believes the cult led Jacob into a trap and that those officers didn't just find Jacob's body. They are probably the ones who murdered him and one of those officers was Kate's new boss, the head of special investigations, Captain Rowan Shaw. The Lost and the Least A novel of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Lester Chapter 38 Kate stood staring at the open file for a long moment, her thoughts racing. Was Shaw working with the cult? Had she been with them the whole time? Had Nevin's arrest been arranged to deflect attention from the larger conspiracy? Had Shaw killed her father? Focus, she told herself. We can worry about that later. At the moment, she needed to know whom she could trust. Kate glanced over her shoulder at Montgomery. What about the rest of SID? Are they in on this too? I don't think they all are, Montgomery said. Most of them are too young to have any connection to the Midnight Snatcher case. But everyone there was hand-picked by Shaw, and you've seen the kind of loyalty Shaw inspires. Kate thought back to that briefing, where the entire room was chanting in unison, S.I.D. Hoorah! Shaw had played to her audience, telling them that they were the elite, the best of the best, the only ones capable of holding the line against chaos. That wasn't a briefing, she thought, with sickening realization. That was a sermon, and Shaw played on our emotions like a revivalist preacher. Shit, Kate muttered. What am I going to do about Lizzie? Montgomery put a hand on her shoulder. You're going to have to decide whether you can trust her. If you can't, you'll have to find a way to cut her out of the loop. If you can trust her, though, it'll make your job a lot easier. Unless I'm wrong, and she stabs me in the back. Kate sighed. I don't know. She hasn't been with S.I.D. for very long. Maybe they haven't brainwashed her yet. Assuming we're even right about Shaw and what she's up to. Gods, it's going to make me crazy being this paranoid. How did you live with this for thirty years? Now you know why I'm so chatty and sociable, Montgomery said dryly. Kate laughed in spite of herself. Then, before she could second-guess it, she turned and hugged him. He didn't flinch away, but put his arms around her 
and squeezed her tightly. I'm sorry, she said, resting her chin on his shoulder. I was an ass. Yes, you were, Montgomery agreed, without heat. On the other hand, your mistakes may have put you in the position to shut down this conspiracy for good. Make of that what you will. Kate broke the hug and looked Montgomery in the eye. What would you do, sir, about Lizzie? Montgomery shrugged. I'm not sure. I don't know her. This has to be your call, Katie. Kate lowered her eyes. I was afraid you were going to say that. Montgomery grunted. You've got a good head on your shoulders when you use it. Weigh the evidence, listen to your gut, then make the call. That's all you can do. Kate nodded once. Yes, sir. Anything else I should know about these files? Montgomery stepped over to the box and flipped through a few of the tabs. Let's see. These are the crime scene reports and the victims. I expect those will be familiar to you by now. These are my notes on where the killings took place. We tracked down a few of their hideouts, though we couldn't catch anybody in the act. They might be using some of them again. Oh, and this is interesting. He pulled one of the files halfway out of the box and tapped it. Jacob called in a favor with his relatives at Lothanasi headquarters, and he cross-linked the murders with Lightbringer emergency calls. Every time there was a new Snatcher killing, they saw a spike in outsider incursions in the surrounding area. An uneasy feeling twisted in Kate's stomach. She flashed back to her dreams from the last few nights. The voice coming from solitary confinement the locked chest with the discarded keys that turned into broken bodies. And, weirdly, Dr. Tamlin, who was trying to open the same chest. She still didn't know what that was about. They're weakening the barriers, Kate realized. Whatever ritual they're doing, it's breaking down the walls between realities. Gods, of course! Death magic is perfect for something like that. She looked back at Montgomery. They're trying to reach the entity. Or make it easier for it to reach us. Neither one sounds like a cheerful possibility, Montgomery said grimly. Last time, Murakir must have scared them back into hiding before they could finish whatever they were planning. Right, Murakir. Kate shook her head. I don't like the idea of trusting that guy. Even for an immortal, he doesn't seem like he's all there. You're not wrong. Montgomery said. He's a valuable ally, but a dangerous one. He's been fighting this cult for a thousand years, and he has his own ideas about how it should be done. Don't let him run roughshod over you. Thanks. I'll try not to. Kate slid the file back into the box, then put on the lid. I'll take this to some of my street-side contacts. Probably safer than trusting anyone at Justice Tower right now. They returned to the kitchen. Kate holding the file box in both arms. Lizzie was leaning in and listening to something Martha was saying, her eyes sparkling with amusement. She certainly didn't look like a cultist. But then, Kate was apparently not the best judge of such things. Lizzie's ear turned toward Kate and Montgomery, and her eyes followed a second later. She saw the file box and quickly rose to her feet. Can I help you with that, Lieutenant? I've got it. Just get the doors for me. She cocked a hip in Lizzie's direction to indicate the pocket that held her keys. Lizzie took them and headed for the front door.
Kate leaned over to Martha and gave her a kiss on one furry cheek. Thanks for the tea. I'll come back for that social visit soon, I promise. Martha returned the kiss with a peck on Kate's forehead. You be careful, dear. I'll try. Kate turned back to Montgomery, bowed her head in respect. Thank you, sir. For everything. Montgomery put a hand on her bicep and squeezed it gently. Good hunting, Lieutenant. Kate blinked back sudden tears, then followed Lizzie to the door. Jared and Will spent a long time talking. There wasn't anything else to do, and Jared was glad for the company. After they had each shared everything they knew about the Brotherhood and its operations, Jared steered the conversation to brighter topics. Will was more than happy to talk about his schooling, his writing, and his girlfriend. All three seemed to make him happy, though at the moment he was also deeply anxious about said girlfriend. She's going to figure out what happened, Will said. His voice was low enough that Jared had to strain to hear him over the sound of the underground river. She's going to come looking for me, and I don't want her to get hurt. It sounds like she can handle herself, Jared said. You said she's been a runner since she was, what, fourteen? Something like that, Will said. But that's the thing. She's a runner. Not a soldier, not a mercenary. But these Brotherhood guys, they've got her so angry. They're taking her people. Even before they got me, she wanted revenge. Wanted to make them pay. Jared shrugged, though of course Will couldn't see it. That seems entirely understandable to me. Will paused. My dad always said, before you go looking for revenge, you'd better dig two graves. Kong Zi, Jared said. Huh? The Hanese philosopher, Kong Zi. That's where that quote comes from. Oh. I always thought it was from the Proverbs. Will seemed to chew on that for a moment. Anyway, it's a good saying. Revenge destroys the person who goes after it. A question sprang from Jared's lips before he could stop it. Have you ever taken revenge on anyone? Will seemed shocked by the question. What? No. Have you ever wanted revenge for anything? Jared pressed. An old, bitter anger rose up inside him, one he had suppressed for years, and with every word it crept more and more into his voice. I mean, have you ever really wanted it? Have you ever been hurt so deeply, so brutally, that you could think of nothing else? You go to sleep at night wrapped around your pain, like a wounded animal curled up around its own belly. You wake up exhausted, grieving, knowing that you will never be free of it, never be whole. You see your enemy's face on the news, and he smiles and charms everyone. And you want to scream, don't you know what he's done? Don't you know what he is? But you don't. Because he is powerful. He is the elite. He is protected. And as you see that smug, smirking face, those lying eyes, you know that the only reason you are still alive is because you weren't important enough to kill. He isn't taking pleasure in how much he hurt you. He isn't thinking about you at all. He's already moved on to his next victim, 
and you're left sitting there in the ruins of your life, and all you can do is dream, impotently, powerlessly, about the day when you'll make him remember. Will said nothing. Jared barely even thought about him. All he could see was the cruel, smiling face of Malcolm Ardvalos, and the cold and lifeless body of his wife, Catherine, whom Malcolm had taken from him. So don't tell me revenge is empty, Jared said, his voice cold. It can't be emptier than this shell of a life. And don't tell me revenge would destroy me. My enemy did that years ago. Will still said nothing. Jared sat alone in the darkness, nursing his pain, grieving again for the woman he loved. And then the thought came to him, a quiet voice in the back of his mind. What if you weren't powerless? He thought of Adrastia's words last night. If you passed the tests, you would be our leader. We would be sworn to obey you. Based on what Will had told him, it seemed that the Brotherhood was already attacking Malcolm's syndicate, if only by pinning them with the blame for their recent murders. What else could they do? A thousand-year-old cult with obvious magical talents? What would happen if they turned their full force toward destroying Malcolm and his minions? The thought gave him a thrill of cold, vindictive pleasure. And then he stopped and thought about what he was actually thinking. My God, Jared, what is wrong with you? These people are murderers and lunatics. They kill innocent people. They're trying to set free an imprisoned God that wants to remake the world in its image. And you're seriously thinking of how you can use them? Maybe Kong Zi was right after all. I'm sorry, Jared said to Will. This place wears you down after a while. It makes everything seem darker. I... He broke off as he realized that he could hear footsteps again. The hallway outside his cell began to flicker with the bouncing lights of electric torches. The lights came to a stop in front of Will's cell. Jared could see the shadows of two of the cultists, silhouetted by the light of the torches. Will Karenson, one of the cultists said, you're coming with us. Will answered, his voice shaking. Why? What are you going to do to me? That depends on whether you cooperate, the cultist said. Hey! Jared staggered to his feet and hurried to the front of the cell. He held on to the bars for support and pressed his face against the mesh. You better not harm that boy! The cultist in the center of the group turned to face Jared. Beneath his cowl, all Jared could see was a mouth twisted into half of a cruel smile. And why's that, Tamlin? Because I'm going to pass your tests, Jared snarled. I'm going to be your vessel. And once I am, anyone who hurts this kid is going to die. Slowly. Screaming. Jared put every drop of venom he could summon into the words. Make them think you're every bit the monster they are. It's the only language they understand. The cultist's smile slipped a little. You aren't the vessel yet. We don't obey you, doctor. 
Jared bared his teeth at the man. Do you really want to take that chance? Don't hurt the boy. I forbid it. The cultists stared at him, transfixed, for a long, long moment. Then the one who had spoken seemed to shake himself. All right, doctor. We won't cause him any permanent harm, as long as he cooperates with our questions. He turned back to Will's cell and opened it. You will cooperate, won't you? I'd hate to have to disappoint the good doctor here. Slowly, Will emerged into the hallway. He was a little older than Jared had expected, but his eyes were wide and innocent, his face streaked with tears. He turned to Jared, staring, his mouth half open. He looked like he wanted to ask Jared something, but he was afraid to put it into words. Jared gave him the best smile he could manage, which wasn't much of one. Be strong, Will. I'm going to get us out of here. Will visibly shuddered, but he nodded. Then he turned his back and let the group of cultists lead him away into the darkness. And that's the end of Chapter 38. Come back next time when Kate gathers her troops to take down the cult. But not all of her allies may be on the same side. Now it's time to check in on my writing endeavors. Here's your weekly writing report. In the past two weeks, I wrote 13,755 words over 17.25 hours, for an average writing speed of 797 words per hour. As of Friday night, I have gone 154 days without breaking my chain. Looking back at the month of February, I wrote a total of 22,300 words in 24 days, averaging 929 words per day. That's not as good as January, but it is my second best month since September 2017, and it's in my top 20 months since I started this podcast. Considering that February is a short month, I think that's pretty good. I spent 29.5 hours writing during the month. Compared to January, my word count decreased by 7%, and my writing time decreased by 15%. I also met my new goal of writing on at least 24 days during the month. Homecoming is now in its denouement and I'm working on wrapping up all the different story threads I've put into place over the course of the book. I've spent a good chunk of time in the last two weeks going back through the manuscript, making little tweaks and additions to better set up the climax. This is a new way of writing for me. Usually I plan out the end of a book so much that the foreshadowing mostly takes care of itself. But it was fun tackling a project this big by the seat of my pants, and it feels good to know I could pull it off. The book is now in chapter 28, and the manuscript is over 83,000 words. Over on the Patreon feed, I have two bits of special bonus content for my $3 patrons and up. The first is the cover reveal for Homecoming. This cover was designed by the amazingly talented Starla Hutchton. I'm deliberately going for a new feel with this cover, 
one that will signal fans of the paranormal erotic romance genre, that this is a book for them. Also, my books have had the same basic design look for the last ten years, so it was time to change things up. Big thanks to Starla for doing such awesome work on this. The second bonus is a sneak peek of the first scene from Homecoming. This is only the first draft, so some things could change before the final version. But if you want to see how this story gets started, here's your chance. If you like my work and want to support me, becoming a patron is the very best thing you can do. For $3 a month, you get access to cool bonus features like these. In addition, all of my patrons get the behind-the-episode audio commentary, plus exclusive bonus art from talented artists like Ben Clifford and Carol Foote. Just head on over to patreon.com slash author Chris Lester, take a look at the reward levels, and make a pledge today. And if you're already a patron, thank you so much for your support. And now, the feedback. I got the following message from one of my listeners, who asked to remain anonymous. She writes, Hi Chris, I just wanted to thank you again for the wonderful work you create. It has always touched me, but in the last year, its depth of meaning has really grown for me. About a year ago, my husband of twenty-plus years came out to me as transgender. To be fair, it was only about a day after she finally came out to herself. It has been a tough year for both of us, but we are still together and as in love as ever. I can't help but think that I was more comfortable with the whole thing because of reading about your androgynes and the role of gender in your stories. I know that this is, in fact, the same person I have always loved, only happier and even better. We are making our way in the world as we are. Mostly, I just wanted to thank you. There is not nearly enough representation of gender nonconformance in any medium, and I value what you have added to that body of work. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much for the encouraging letter. Stories like this are one of my favorite reasons to share my fiction with the world. I am so glad that I could play a small part in helping you and your wife find the way forward into a happier and more authentic life together. Feedback like this makes me feel like I'm doing something to make the world a kinder, better place. Best wishes to you both. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook. And my Mastodon handle is at author Chris Lester at wandering.shop. If you like this show, take a minute and leave me a review in Apple Podcasts. It makes a big difference in helping people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fiction, fresh off the writing desk. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2018 and 2019 by Chris Lester and the Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. 
So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.